Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. So much. Um, the nominees for Best Performance by an Actress in a Supporting Role are my wonderfully talented colleagues. From Working Girl, Joan Cusack. From The Accidental Tourist, Gina Davis. From Mississippi Burning, Frances McDormand. From Dangerous Liaisons, Michelle Pfeiffer. Also from Working Girls, Sigourney Weaver. And the Oscar goes to... Gina, Gina Davis, Davis, the accidental tourist. Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. I'm Kyle Brown, your host, and today we're going to be talking about the 1989 ceremony year win for Best Supporting Actress, Gina Davis. Most people that you know, you say, hey, you know that Gina Davis won an Oscar. You'd be like, do you know what for what movie? They'd probably say, oh, Thelma and Louise, or oh, Beetlejuice, or oh, A League of Their Own. No, it's for a movie that no one has heard of or ever seen called The Accidental Tourist with William Hurt. We will be discussing that at the end end of the episode as she is our winner that year so stay tuned for that and today I am joined by a returning guest one of my favorites he was nominated for a Canadian Screen Award for a uh, Just for Laughs gala um, with Jonathan Van Ness it also had uh, Trixie Mattel Deanne Smith it was a big big show big success and he's here for you now it's Ted Morris hi Ted hi hi Kyle how are you I'm doing great Um, I noticed that you and uh, Wilma Fingerdoo are doing a drag uh, ensemble act and what is the name of your drag character? Uh, her name is Wilhelmina Boxfarts. <laughs> There's an umlaut over the A in farts because she's German. Of course. Do you have any like German heritage or is that just for fun? No, it's just for fun. It's just a stupid name <laughs> that came out for me playing board games because when you like close a board game box or even open it, sometimes it farts. Oh. Uh, you know? And every time I would say Boxfarts. Uh, and oh. Then, yeah. I, I wish there was a a more interesting backstory that didn't make me sound like a huge nerd but there it is <laughs> I love that if I was ever if I ever had a drag name it would be uh, Barely Karen nice or Sandy Cooch Sandy Cooch yeah that's like it Sandy Cooch <laughs> yeah I went through all the dark ones like Sissy Fibrosis and <laughs> Dinah Cancer and I was like no it's too dark it's too dark even for me I love it um well uh I, I'm I'm glad to hear that Wilhelmina Boxfarts and uh, Wilma Fingerdoo are getting along because I I love both of them and I love watching them. Uh, is there anywhere that people can specifically watch Wilhelmina Boxfarts? Go to the Fingerdoo Review on YouTube. I am currently just the guest star in Wilma's life, uh, and once I once I get some boobs, I will uh, <laughs> I will start doing things on my own. Nice. Okay. I well, need boobs. Uh, that's really really great. I'm I'm very happy for you. Um, is there anything new and exciting going on in your life right now that no, we need to know about? Nothing going on. <laughs> there's no shows. There's nothing. I'm still doing stupid zoom shows (laughs) i did a zoom show for valentine's day and it was as good as it could be 
but yeah, they're pretty bad. Yeah, some of them are. I've done some of them. Where I'm like, okay, that was fine. I've fine. never really yeah. gone beyond fine right. with them. But yeah, yeah, I was like, okay, how big is the check? All right, I'll do this. Yeah, they're I a can solid be beige. Where it's like, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Um, well, that's great. Uh, okay, I'm re- so we're talking about Gina Davis's win uh, for best supporting actress, and I just I always like to ask my guests why they picked that. Year, is there any particular reason why you picked Gina Davis for The Accidental Tourist? Uh, I picked that year because I hadn't actually seen uh, Dangerous Liaisons, okay. and I wanted to. And then I've, I've watched Working Girl a million times. Yeah. <laughs> And but not for like twenty years. So yeah. I'm like, okay, well, let me let me see if this holds up. I love that. I mean, because I think the last episode that you had done, we had done Shirley MacLaine, and we had to watch um, Educating Rita, yeah, with Julie Walters, which is I still quote it to this day. <laughs> but like, hello, Frank. <laughs> I do it every day. I'm obsessed with it. And Working Girl is sort of that same sort of narrative where it's like the working class moving her way up. Yeah, a little working class Cinderella story. Exactly. And so I think that's kind of interesting. Also, Dangerous Liaisons, that's like Glenn Close gay icon yeah. moment. So we'll, we'll get into it. I'm, I'm shocked that I'm shocked I hadn't seen that before. I'm not shocked that I hadn't watched The Accidental Tourist, but I was shocked that I hadn't watched Dangerous Liaisons. <laughs> I'm not shocked that you haven't watched The Accidental Tourist because I don't think anybody has ever even seen the movie, including Gina Davis. So I'm pretty sure... <laughs> I'm pretty sure that we'll get, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. But yeah, this is a very interesting year. And frankly, I don't love doing supporting episodes pre-2000 because the roles for women are really limited and clearly written by men. Yeah, because when I was looking at the list of nominees, I'm like, okay, well, why'd they get nominated for that? Yeah. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> it was a woman in peril because that's the only thing you could get nominated for. Of course. Are you getting sexually assaulted or beat up? Yeah. You're going to get nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> Are you a wife propping up her man? Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Or a hooker or, yeah. Um, Well, so let's jump into it. So let's talk about our first nominee. These are in no particular order. Let's talk about Frances McDormand's first Academy Award nomination for a supporting role for Mississippi Burning. So I will actually read the IMDb uh, recap of what Mississippi Burning, the white savior movie of all white savior (laughs) movies, is about. Um, And as I type this in, M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I, Burning... Uh, very quickly, two FBI agents with wildly different styles arrive in Mississippi to investigate the disappearance of some civil rights activists. So essentially for anybody listening that has not seen the movie before, this is a movie where it takes place in the 60s and it's just hate crime, hate crime, hate crime, and then five minutes of monologues, then hate crime, hate crime, hate crime, hate crime. Oh my God, hey, Francis McDormand. Then hate crime, hate crime, hate crime, hate crime. I would also like to point out that none of the role, the principal characters are people of color. They are just kind of like a prop yeah. to allow the white people to seem amazing. Yeah, well, some of the white people to seem amazing. Yeah, yeah it was, it was right, 100% yes. white savior. I was waiting for uh, the magical Negro character to show up and I was pleasantly surprised they didn't really show up because often those two things just go hand in hand right and that would have been too much to handle of course and obviously this is a very difficult movie to watch it's very heavy subject matter i actually did fast forward through a lot of it because uh there i don't there's just something about those kinds of movies where it's like this shit actually happens And the second that I just see it once in the movie, it's like, okay, good. But then when you watch it like five, six, seven, eight more times in the same movie, I, it, it's very difficult to watch and I actually have to skip through it because yeah. you don't ever really get to see really the perspective of the people of color or what their story is or how they feel about it. 
the only real kind of thing that you really hear about it is they're just kind of like, we hate this. Let's do something about it. Yeah. And that's kind of the extent of it. Yeah, it's... Uh, it, I mean, it's. I think it's supposed to be uncomfortable to watch because it was very... I think if you're watching that being like, mm, yeah, this is fine. Uh, yeah. I, I think that speaks poorly of your character. But the fact that it was based on a true story in the first place, you're mm-hmm. like, well, I can't really just excuse this as being fictional. Right. And I know that those people are still... Like, all those people taught their kids the same stuff that they were taught by their parents and those people are still around. Yeah. So it's, uh, it was a little, it was a little frightening when I did the math. I was like, oh, oh, this happened 10 years before I was born. That's <laughs> not, that's not really that long ago. I know. I mean, uh, talking uh, about it being based on a true story. So it is, but the movie was fiction. The movie was fiction, yeah. Uh, the guy who the sheriff was based on actually tried to sue them Oh, uh, for like $8 million. And they're like, well, we didn't actually say anything that wasn't true. Right. So right. he's like, I wasn't uh, ever accused of murder. He's like, yeah, you weren't. You weren't. You weren't. <laughs> you were. You're one of the only people that uh, that didn't get charged with anything. But yeah, they were. you were under suspicion. All these things are verifiable facts. So please feel free to sue us. And then he dropped the suit. Oh, God. Make America great again. Mm. Mm. So this film is inspired by the murder of voting rights activists James Cheney, uh, Michael Schwerner, and Andrew Goodman. And they were killed by the Ku Klux Klan. Um, or is it Ku Klux? Ku. Yeah. I always thought it was Clue. Um, okay, well, now I know. Um, not that I ever need to. <laughs> um, <laughs> Don't want to offend any KKK people yeah, by exactly. mispronouncing <laughs> the name of their hate group. Um, so the violence of this film uh, prevented... Uh, oh... Oh, the violence of this film actually prevented uh, the lead actor, um, uh, the lead actor, oh my God, from the French Connection. Uh, oh my, Gene, Gene Hackman. Hackman. Oh my God. <laughs> Sorry, I'm having a bit of a brain fart and it's funny. <laughs> I, I stopped drinking. I should remember these people's names. But Gene Hackman, uh, this the violence of this film actually prevented him from accepting uh, the role of director of Silence of the Lambs because he couldn't oh. handle the violence of this film when he saw it on the Oscars telecast. I'm assuming he probably never even watched it. And then when he saw it, he was like, oh my God. And he's like, I don't want to do another movie that's this violent. So he was set up to direct The Silence of the Lambs and he didn't. Huh. Yeah. And he would have won an Oscar for that if he did. He would have. Yeah. Um, Okay. So Frances McDormand's character is based on Connor Price, who is the wife of the deputy sheriff, um, Cecil Ray Price. And um, at one point in the movie, whenever you see news interviews with like the real locals, where they're like on the bridge... Yes, those, that was too real for me. So they were extremely, the film crew was extremely uncomfortable because they told them to sort of just embellish, exaggerate, and lie, but they were uncomfortable because it came so easy to them. Yeah, they're like, oh, this is something I've said many, many times before. Like, exactly, it's just, <laughs> yes. And it's, it just rolled off the tongue. Yeah, this doesn't feel like acting to me. And Sir Mix-a-Lot's uh, song, The the Jack Back is about taking violence, uh, taking violent revenge on white supremacists and samples many lines from this movie. Hmm. Today yeah. I learned that Mr. Mix-a-Lot has more than one song. <laughs> uh, yeah, right? That's very true. And uh, this entire movie, The Mississippi Burning, uh, is basically a just hate crimes to the Unsolved Mysteries soundtrack. So <laughs> that's not a fact. That's just something that I noticed. Um, 
Okay, so this was Frances McDormand's first Academy Award nomination for a supporting role. She has three Oscars, all for leading. And yeah, she is the wife of the sheriff who is in the Ku Klux Klan, who did murder, hate crime, that uh, that black kid at the very beginning of the yeah. movie. And more so as the movie goes on. And she kind of is like protecting him. She's the battered wife. Yeah, she's kind of like the... M- the moral conscience of the movie, like she's holding a little black baby. Yeah, right. Gasp, yes. But I love like, okay, all right. I, I understand who you're supposed to be here. Yeah. I mean, I definitely didn't buy her character at all, especially coming from her background, like of all of the people that she was surrounded by. She even says in the movie, she's like, we are brought up to believe in this hate. It's taught to us. And you're like, right. So then why are you completely different from everyone else in this town? Yeah. What happened to you? What happened to you? That would have been more interesting. That would have been way more interesting. And then she eventually, because of all the violence, rats out her own husband. And then he beats the shit out of her in front of his friends. And then, I mean, from Frances McDormand and with the script, and of, of course, this is a product of its time. She did a great job. She did a great job. Yeah, Frances McDormand always does a great job. I'm always I'm always happy to see her show up and whatever she's doing. Certainly the most um, feminine I've ever seen her play yeah. in most of her roles because she always kind of plays that small town sort of tough guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Female guy. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. You got a phone down here, you think? <laughs> yeah. And so it was actually because the last episode that I had done, it was Frances McDormand for uh, Three Billboards. This was the last episode that just came out. And then I actually said that I don't think I've ever seen Frances McDormand in like a very feminine, matronly kind of role. And then I saw this and I was like, oh, well, shut me up. Here we go. Yeah. You can't work in the beauty parlor and be a <laughs> big, big uggo. <laughs> it, it's, Even in 1964 in Mississippi. Right. The bar was low, but she still managed to rise above. But I'm so used to seeing her being such a tough guy, kind of, or tough girl, tough woman kind of character that like seeing her be like the battered wife. It was weird. Yeah, and it was uh, that was the point where I'm like, oh, okay, this is why she was nominated for this scene here because because that's what we have to do to women in the 80s. Of they course. Have to, they, it's all suffering and wickedness. Yes, that's, of course. That's all they get. That's and then they're they like, how far did it go? It's like, oh, she got a shiner. Okay, give her the Oscar. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Like an Oprah shiner. Yeah. <laughs> right. and it's like, no, it wasn't that bad. I'm like, okay. <laughs> There's like levels. Um, but I would say that of the nominees without naming names, I completely understand her nomination in this group of nominees, maybe because there were some nominees this year that I was like, hmm. <laughs> Really? Yeah, I wanted to actually look, and I never, I never got around to doing it. I'm like, what other movies came out that year that this, yeah, that this was the crop? That this you was went the crop. With? <laughs> this seems strange. All well, right. I do have to say though, doing this podcast, this is a good supporting year. Okay, because most of the like '90s supporting year, they're like five-hour performances buried in three-hour films. Yeah, and you're just like, where is this person coming in? Why am I watching it? Oh, side note: this is not about this film, but I don't know if you saw the Oscar nominations that came out this year. But um, Judy Dench got nominated for the movie Belfast. I don't know if you. Okay, so I, no, she, I've been paying zero attention. She was literally in this movie for like a minute. I. If you watch the movie, if you blink, you will miss her. Like, it's less than Shakespeare in Love, which was like an eight, ten minute performance yeah. or something. And it's so funny to me that she's nominated for Belfast because I'm like, I forgot she was in that. And then you have, um, I'm going to pronounce this so wrong. It's a uh, Katriana Belf. 
Faye or whatever. Sure. She was like the one that everyone, she's been nominated for everything. And then Judy Dench came in and took it. The supporting, anyway, the point is, is that the supporting category is always kind of random and a bit like, oh, really? Yeah. But this particular year, I don't find that's the case. I do find that these were a little bit more interesting comparatively so to the rest of most of supporting. But anyway, so talking about Frances McDormand. So I think that the best scene from her is when the husband comes in to beat the crap out of her. And you see that vulnerability from her and the fear of what's about to happen. And it's very hard to watch. It's very, it's very violent, obviously not as violent as some of the other scenes in the movie, but it's very difficult to watch. And it's really weird seeing that sign of Frances McDormand because she's usually the one beating people up. <laughs> yeah, it was that look on her face when like her husband comes in, but then like his three buddies come in as well. And just when she's like, uh, uh, I was yeah. Like, Ooh, yeah. Okay. I would have nominated you for that look on your face <laughs> in that one scene. Absolutely. That was, there's a lot going <laughs> running across her face. Oh, absolutely. She gets like thrown in, onto a TV and thrown into the wall. Oh. And um, this is certainly, yeah, I just, I like, of course, again, it's a product of its time. Obviously this is the most like white savior narrative like ever, but, um, I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting movie. I think that uh, I think that Willem Dafoe, it's a new version of his face to haunt my dreams. He's so scary. He is the demon from The Exorcist. And then he took human form in Willem Dafoe's body. <laughs> and this is like a young Willem Dafoe where he's a little bit more like a Gucci model, but still creepy. But still creepy. And apparently, and this is a fact I only learned about two weeks ago, has a distractingly large penis. <laughs> oh, of course he does. Director uh, Lars von Trier was like, comments and uses that. For, I, can't, I can't remember if he said confusingly large or distractingly large, but there was like some <laughs> nude scene that he needed Willem Dafoe in, and he's like, oh, we're going to use this stunt penis uh, for this one. And what? apparently in The Last Temptation of Christ, he like poked out of his loincloth when he was <laughs> strung up wherever. Wow. And, and in the story, they're like, no one would go help except for one male <laughs> from the con- from the wardrobe department. I was like, oh, so the only gay guy on set. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll tuck that back in. <laughs> That's really funny. Um, also, it doesn't surprise me. I find that like very thin, creepy people yeah. tend to have like giant dongs. Yeah, they put, they put it all up front. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's why they they're so creepy. They're like soft Disney features all just goes into their dick. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cuz when they get an erection, they <laughs> almost pass out. <laughs> then they don't know what they're doing. Um I love how sort of near the end uh she says to Gene Hackman because there's a bit of a love relationship going on there that was a little uncomfortable because I suppose that he was supposed to come in and save her from her situation, but then she ends up staying behind. Yeah, I was very confused by that. I was like, "Are you trying to? Are you trying to push this as a love connection? Am I? Like, yeah. am I just picking up the wrong thing? Because it feels like it's been sh- awkwardly shoehorned in here." Absolutely, and it was. And then at the end, she says, "If you're ever in Des Moines, send me a postcard." And you're like, "Okay, okay." So you have no intention of seeing each other then. So they're okay. Like I just, I didn't. I don't know. I just. Um, I was I was confused by that whole storyline, and I th- I thought I was misinterpreting it. But I'm like, but why would you be standing that close? What are you doing? Right. She basically was the love interest. I feel like the Oscar nomination came from the violence. Yeah. Uh, 
but of course in this movie she wasn't the one that was getting the worst of the violence so why weren't they maybe celebrating a, a black character or like you know beefing that up I mean of course I know it's a product of its time but I mean yeah. what the color purple came out like three years before yeah. four years before yeah, something so this wasn't like it was a completely out of left field anyway no I mean as one of the characters said it's like well you wouldn't be down here investigating this true if there weren't two white people involved like true. if it was just a black civil rights activist who'd been shot no one the uh, fbi would not have showed up of course no absolutely that's that's very very true so i guess the academy's like the fbi they're not gonna show up unless there's <laughs> white people there well the voting committee at that point was like basically all old white people yeah. so no that makes sense um okay well anyway francis mcdormand really good really nice to see that uh, vulnerability a different side to her uh that i've never really seen before and uh, i completely understand the nomination and it's interesting now that I've seen all of her Oscar-nominated uh, performances. She's been nominated four times, and she's won three times. Oh, she's good. She's good. She's good. She's good. Um, okay, so before we move on to our next nominee, I will just say that uh, for the 1989 Oscars, Best Picture went to Rain Man. Best Director went to Barry Levinson for Rain Man. Best Actress went to Jodie Foster for The Accused. That is an episode that we have already done. You should check it out. It's, like, really good. Best Supporting Actor went to Kevin Klein for A Fish Called Wanda. And Best Actor went to Dustin Hoffman for... Rain Man. Okay. So let's talk about the movie Working Girl. So we have two nominees here. We have Joan Cusack, um, which is her first nomination in a supporting role, and her second was for the movie um, In and Out. That was uh, also with Kevin Klein, uh, where he's gay, and it's just so offensive now, but I'm sure it was probably really funny back in the day. We were very excited to go to the theater to watch that movie. I, <laughs> we I were bet. very excited. And they're like, oh, that's what we're getting? Yeah, it was really... That's not that's another episode, uh, and Sigourney Weaver. Uh, she was a double nominee this year um, because uh, she was also nominated for Gorillas in the Mist, which was a lead performance. And in the movie Working Girl, at one point, um, uh, uh, you see uh, the lead character Tess. She's carrying a big gorilla, a stuffed gorilla, yes, on her off back the plane. Oh. off the plane. I think that was like a little wink. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk about Joan Cusack first, just because her performance was obviously smaller than Sigourney's. So I'm curious what your take is on this. Also, Working Girl, for anybody that doesn't know, it's about, like, a girl from, like, you know, Long Island that is working her way up in the corporate world uh, as a woman in the 80s. And she wants to be like Sigourney Weaver, who is 30, uh, or turning 30, they're basically the same age, uh, and she's her boss, and she's like, wow, I want to be just like you. And then wackiness ensues. I'm sure that everyone knows a working girl. Wackiness. Is. Um, but Joan Cusack, I'm really curious to see what your take is on this, because I remember the first time that I watched this movie, I was like 20 years old, and then I looked it up, and then I saw that Joan Cusack was nominated for an Oscar for this, and I was like, huh? What? Yeah, that was my reaction as well, because I'm like, oh, I forgot Joan Cusack was in this movie. And I'm like, oh, and she was not. I mean, I love Joan Cusack. I will watch anything Joan Cusack is in. She is my queen. Shameless. I don't understand (laughs) what, like she did, she did a good job with the character, which was like, like a nothing best friend character with no character development, I agree. like not, no backstory, like nothing. Just like, I'm playing the role of the best friend. Uh, And... She did a good job with it. I yeah. didn't think it was at no point watching her was like, 
This is yes. <laughs> this is this is award worthy acting. This Absolutely is amazing. I mean, her hairspray did most of the work. I know, and the uh, boy George eyeshadow. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I was watching that. I was like, I don't think it's supposed to go all the way up to your eyebrows, but that's fine. <laughs> it was the eighties. It, it was loud. <laughs> it was certainly loud, and it's funny because um, basically, like, it was Joan Cusack and her hair, because her hair in every single scene like just kept getting like bigger and bigger. Yeah, Melanie Griffiths got smaller as she got more professional. Right. And Joan just went the opposite way. <laughs> they couldn't even fit it like into the frame <laughs> by the end of the movie. It was so big. And um, I actually wrote the first thing that I wrote was there should be a trigger warning for her giant hair and the opening scene because it's just Joan Cusack, her hair and a cupcake. And it's just a lot. It's a lot. It was uh, it took me off guard. It's been, <laughs> the 80s were a long time ago. I apparently uh, need to adjust to that as well and plus you're looking at like like movie version of the 80s as well so yeah everyone's hair is enormous i'm like it wasn't like that back then oh that's like, funny it wasn't everyone my mom there was a lot of bad hair oh of course but my mom had that hair for too long in the early 90s <laughs> like you remember Roz from frazier kind of had that going yes. on for like a while so my mom kind of looks like Roz and like had the hair so when i was growing up like when I was a very small child i was like is that my mom like it's just like so familiar to me and so the big giant it looks like a big croissant, like the Hedvig and the Angry Inch. Yeah. Like the big croissant of bangs followed by like like the some ratty length. Ratty exactly. <laughs> so gross. So gross. And so but like so but at the time like so fucking hot. Like, oh look at this. This meant I I took three hours and four cans of final net to get this. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um so obviously Joan Cusack's character, she's supposed to represent the working class. I think um, for the time, I think that this particular role for her was iconic. And I think that the line where it says, um, whenever she says, uh, can I get you anything? Coffee, tea, me. I think that that at the time was like the, oh, <laughs> like line of the year. Yeah. I mean, it was just making fun of the, uh, there was an ad with that in it. I swear. I swear there was like an ad for like instant coffee or something stupid oh. or an airline like um, it was uh, yeah it was it was already old and past its prime by the time she, <laughs> she <laughs> oh really did a call back to it oh, yeah. i didn't know that okay well i just love some of her lines whenever they're like getting her dressed up in uh, sigourney weaver's clothes and it's a six thousand dollar dress she's like i don't know it's like it needs like bows or something <laughs> like you know, funny moments. She's always a really funny, supporting, reliable character. As you said so beautifully, there's no background story. There's no growth. She really is just playing like the friend. Yeah. I feel like if, I don't know what movies got snubbed. I don't know what movies were, but at the same time, like, um, but I've said this so many times in the podcast, like pre 2000, the supporting roles for women in film, even in lead weren't even really that great, but like supporting were even more limited. And so I feel like, Maybe they were scraping the bottom of the yeah. barrel a little bit with this Slim one. Slim pickings. They're like, well, we can't have everyone nominated being assaulted on film. Yeah, so sorry. maybe. <laughs> Let's switch it up. Let's mix it up and see. Maybe the kids will tune in this year. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Um, uh, I'm I, I'm just trying to think like of any kind of big moments like... Uh, what, oh, I guess like the, the, the main supporting role moment is when she says, you know, sometimes I sing and dance around my house in my underwear and it doesn't make me Madonna. I feel like that was the one reality check moment that the supporting character is supposed to give to the lead. Yeah. 
But truly, and this is no shade to Joan Cusack, we both agree that she's great. There's really not a lot here. There's not a lot of meat on that bone. Yeah. Like, not a lot. I mean, I guess she spent most of her time in hair and makeup. And uh, they just didn't have time to write an interesting <laughs> character for her. <laughs> She's in like the hair and makeup chair at like 3 a.m., right? For like a 10 a.m. shoot. Absolutely. Um, I'm just trying to think if there's anything else that I kind of wanted to add. Um, so really the only fact that I wrote about this movie, because I've already previously done this episode, if you want to hear more facts about Working Girl, listen to the Jodie Foster Accused episode because we covered a lot of that. But one fact that I thought was kind of interesting was that... Uh, uh, Melanie Griffith and Sigourney Weaver, they followed around many female executives and secretaries for their uh, in New York uh, just to see what their hectic daily schedules would be like. So that was the one fact that I didn't mention the last time that I did this episode. So there you go. Um, do you have anything else that you would like to specifically add to Joan Cusack's performance before we move on to Sigourney? No, no, it was all hair. It was, it was all hair. <laughs> and eyeshadow. And eyeshadow. With two tones. And then I, I'm not mad at the, the, she had those earrings that were like triangles. Yeah. I love those. Those are kind of hot. I'm I'm into that. We'll keep those. Yeah, we'll get everything those. else is going. Everything else has got to go. <laughs> Throw a match at that hair. I think Joan Cusack, though, really, like, the win is the nomination, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's nice, nice to get a little nominated. Yeah. I mean, if she'd won for it, she would have had, like, the Marissa Tomei effect where people are like, why did you win anything for anything? It's yeah. Like, I had a good performance. Yeah, <laughs> we did that. Ep- I think that was the second or third episode. My guest that week was Ariane Tong. And I was like, so curious, like what, like how I watched all those movies, Marissa Tomei deserved to win. And she did a great, she did a great job. Yeah, they were, but the performances for the supporting characters that year were really painful. Either that or Miranda Richardson should have won, but Miranda Richardson that year, her performance was like five minutes long mm. and it was kind of boring. So the fact that Marissa, everyone always says Marissa Tomei, I'm like, no, like, frankly, Gina Davis's win was also kind of a bit of a Marissa Tomei performance because Gina Davis wasn't nominated for anything else leading up to the Oscars. Yeah, Gina Davis's entire career, I find bizarre. It's, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I agree. She just did the, the last thing I saw her in, there was an Exorcist TV show and she was like, in the show, I can't remember if she was the demon or not. I think she was for like the Fun. first season and then she left. But just, I was like, you have really come a long way yeah. from where you were. I mean, my introduction to her, I think, was on Family Ties. Michael J. Fox sitcom from the 80s. And she shows up as like, they get a, a housekeeper oh. for a couple of episodes. But she's completely useless. But they're all in love with her because she's so gorgeous. So gorgeous. Victoria's Secret model. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, well, let's talk about Sigourney Weaver and Working Girl. So um, this is one of my favorite Sigourney Weaver performances. Obviously, it's Aliens, then Heartbreaker, then this. Um, I think that uh, so Ka- Sigourney Weaver plays the iconic Catherine Parker. Um, she walks into the movie with, and I always love this, whenever characters, they have a coat, but they're not wearing it's it, but it's draped. on. And yeah. Like, oh. Yeah. Just... It's like a cape. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like a coat. And you're like, just, why the fuck would you wear it yeah, like that? <laughs> Put your arms through it. What's it's, wrong with you? I love it though. It's so it's such Did a, you have business... a cold neck. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's it's really weird. What's the point of the coat? I I find it weird. It's like a shawl coat. Yeah, very strange. But that's how she walks into the scene. Um, and there is this beautiful thing that Sigourney Weaver does that she does comedic acting so well, where she's being very very serious, but she's also being very silly at the same time. Like she'll come in and then she'll just be like, "Oh, you just turned 30. She's like, "Oh well, I turn thirty like next week." She says it in such a matter of fact way but it's also kind of like a little bitchy but also like kind of funny but also like very matter of fact yeah. and like she has such a great way of delivering lines 
and a very gr- there's such a subtlety to all of the way that she does everything that like I just I love Sigourney Weaver. I I love her too. I love that she made this role not just like the one dimensional yeah villain, which it always easily, usually is. easily could have been yeah. Uh, and I, I just loved how crazy she was. I, I completely forgot about that one scene uh, where she's in the hospital and there's just like a party <laughs> happening and like people walk wandering by like ski jackets. I'm like, we're still in the hospital, right? Like, did you just come from the slopes? Yeah. To be like, oh, it's really great out there. It's too bad you couldn't join us on the slopes. <laughs> and and the, one of the doctors she keeps thinking is like flirting with her and she's like, stop it's, it. It's so weird. Someone's doing her, like a nurse is doing her nails. Like <laughs> that scene is just uh, like an embarrassment of riches. I know. Like, what's going on there? What's happening over there? I know. I love um, whenever, uh, uh, whenever, you know, She's always wearing the color red, and when she wears the color red, it's like all of the male gaze is on her. She's always the central Mm -hmm. focus, and I love the way that she kind of is just this super serious, but it's funny just seeing the way that she just kind of pops into everything, and she's in charge, and all the men are looking at her, but she's doing doing it in such a sort of like flamboyant kind of way the sort of like fabulous rich woman kind of way that like makes it funny where it's like serious but it's not serious well it's it was it's fun watching her do because like they're they're she and melanie griffiths are dealing with the same pressures of being a woman in in business right and so they still have to kind of like use their feminine wiles but she's showing what you can do is like oh if you have power right and you can use your your femininity to your advantage. You can really advance yourself. When you don't have power, yeah. your femininity is a bit of an issue with the douche burrows that are Kevin doing Spacey. coke and being a creep with you in the limo. Yeah, Kevin Spacey. That's just perfect Perfect for him. casting. Perfect, perfect casting. Um, I like uh, uh, how she has uh, like workout equipment in her office. <laughs> yeah. And they never acknowledge it. Like she sits on it at one point to put on the ski boots. And it's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> Um, uh, she says lines like I'm light, no sugar. That's indicative of her, of her character. Um, because light, skinny, no sugar, where it's like, she's not sweet. She's like, she could be a viper. Um, I love the line where she's like, today's junior prick is tomorrow's, um, today's senior prick. No, today's junior prick is tomorrow's senior partner. Um, so never burn your bridges. Yeah. And you're right. It is interesting the way that she, as a woman in the corporate world in the 80s, has to navigate those kind of rules in sort of like the man's world. Although I will say, again, of course, this is a product of its time, so I'm not really going to hold it against it. But of course, there is sort of a double standard because if Sigourney Weaver like was a man and then like took the idea and like ran with it, I feel like it would just be sort of like, well, it's just business. It's nothing personal. Yeah, it's fine, sweetheart. It's fine. This is just what happens. Exactly. Give me a coffee. Exactly. Where I find that with Sigourney, like they really uh, punished her because she was a woman. But again, it is a product of its time. Um, I love whenever she returns back from her ski trip with a broken leg and she's just saying things like, it's me. I'm back. It's me. And then she has the big gorilla. Well, didn't she? Wouldn't, they're like, oh, yeah, she had some muscle relaxants on the plane. So, yeah. so like she's having a really good time. I'm like, no, oh, it's her muscle relaxants all the time. <laughs> um, and she just is so pleased with herself. She says things like, well, I am after all me. <laughs> you know, I like just. This is definitely Sigourney's like one of her iconic roles and uh, one of her most iconic roles. And uh, I am confused because then you find out that like she actually in the end, like 
I don't know if this was clear, but she actually wasn't going to steal the idea. No, she was. She was, yeah. but then because the computer was open, then she was like, oh, it looks like oh, it I was. it looks like I'm totally okay. stealing your idea, but you know, yeah, and that whole like, but of course, if you had any questions, you'd ask me. Yeah. Trust. Yeah. Um, in the 80s, whenever they conducted business, I love that all they needed was just like pen and paper. You need a pen and a paper and you need a green monitor in the background that's doing nothing. <laughs> doing nothing. Doing absolutely <laughs> nothing, but it's always on. Of course. And I, I'm wondering because I'm like, I don't even know if in the movie they know what they're supposed to be doing because I'm like, okay, so you're a business person, but like, what do you do? Yeah. They're just sitting around on the phone and they're like, oh, did the deal go through? And you're like, is that what you think business is? <laughs> it's just, yeah, it felt a little like Star Trek where you're like, oh, this is the part of the script where you're like, right in some sci-fi gibberish right. but they're like write in some businessy stuff yeah what do they do mergers and acquisitions well, what does that mean yeah we don't need to elaborate people yeah. know people know people know it's the 80s it's all about business people know yeah, it's like Sigourney whenever she feigns weakness and all the men have to help her and then she's like oh sorry they all get her water they all like you know give her everything and she sits down and then she goes okay pen paper let's get down to business <laughs> I'm like you don't even know what they're talking about What's what business are you about to conduct like are you about I don't I don't know. Simpler times. Yeah, but it's like, I, I think that's like just like really funny. Like, um, but anyway, so again, we already covered Working Girl in the last episode. I don't really need to go too much into it. Um, I do think another thing that has not aged well in this movie is the scene whenever Harrison Ford like takes her back drunk, completely wasted and like gets her undressed and puts her yeah. into bed and goes to bed with her. Like there are a lot of like. Hmm. Like maybe you didn't have to take off everything. Yeah. Although she's like, oh, well, I woke up in my underwear. I'm like, well, do you think he took your bra off? That <laughs> that bra with no straps. That probably no straight man has any idea. Yeah, right. <laughs> put on a, and then like felt you up and then stuck it back on you perfectly for you to sleep. It's fine. Right. It's, right. Yeah. I'm like you could have slept on the couch as well. Yeah. Some <laughs> He's like, no, I like to spoon. Uh, unconsensually. Um, and another fact, I said this before, about David McCovney's movie debut, whenever she comes home and it's like the surprise birthday party, he's in the closet. Being like, surprise. Uh, it's David McCovney. Ha, ha, ha. I spotted Ricky Lake because I was like, <laughs> oh, there's Ricky Lake at the wedding. Look at her. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Her wait. I didn't see yeah. her. Oh, that's funny. I didn't know that she was an actress. Um, okay. Well, anyway, I love, I love Sagugu. Um, if anybody has not seen the movie Heartbreakers, that is also an iconic performance of hers that you have to check out. Uh, and yeah, I mean, is there anything else that you want to add to Sigourney before we move mm-hmm. on? I love Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> okay. So let us talk about Michelle Pfeiffer in Dangerous Liaisons. She's playing Madame de Tourvel, who is, uh, the wife to a member of parliament. Um, apparently, uh, uh, Marie Antoinette loved this book whenever it was out. She had it as an unmarked book in her library because it was so dangerous. 1782 it was written. Yes. And this movie uh, is basically Cruel Intentions, uh, the original Cruel Intentions. Yes. Um, and so, again, already talked about this movie before, so we're not really going to be getting into too many of the facts. We were talking specifically about Glenn Close's performance. I will say, watching this movie a second time around, I much preferred Glenn Close's performance in this. Uh, I remember the biggest issue that I had with the last time was that Glenn Close was like in the movie less than Michelle Pfeiffer, and I felt like Michelle Pfeiffer probably should have been lead, and then Glenn Close should have been supporting, but who cares? I don't make the rules. Um, my biggest criticism... My biggest crit. Wow. <laughs> I'm getting my stroke in installments. Okay. My biggest criticism of this movie was that they weren't British, which the, is a choice. Well, the accents were 
interesting. Like when Peter Capaldi showed up as John Malkovich's squire, right, with his thick Scottish accent, I was like, oh, we're not even going to pretend. We're not. We're not even going to try. I know. Okay. I know. I know. It, it, it's a choice. Everyone's just doing a, a, a different, a different accent. Some people are American. Some people are slightly British. Some people, yeah. Nobody is French. Yeah. No. <laughs> no one. Not a single person. Um, Michelle Pfeiffer was offered the role of Marquise de Martoy, which was who Glenn Close was playing, but she turned it down because she chose to play Madame de Tourvel. Which, frankly, I feel like I would love to see Michelle Fe- Michelle Pfeiffer play. Uh, Glenn Close's role, I think, interchangeably, they would be interesting. But in terms of a character who is going to be like the object of desire, I feel like in the late '80s, Michelle Pfeiffer is the better choice. Yes, yeah. yeah. The uh, the slight manliness of Glenn Close didn't always didn't always yeah <laughs> didn't always know, work. come across as yeah. sensual and sexy, no matter how powdered her bosoms were. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sarah Jessica Parker was originally offered the role of Cecil, which was Uma's role, but she turned it down. And uh, I've already mentioned that point about more screen time than Glenn Close. So let's just sort of jump into it. So yeah, I'm not really going to recap. It's just, it's Cruel Intentions where it's just terrible people preying on really great people in high society, uh, you know, 18th century France. There you go. Uh, That's the, basically the recap that I'll give for this movie. But Michelle Pfeiffer is kind of like the, um, the pure, innocent wife who is the good person that, uh, John Malkovich, which frankly, I don't even care how offensive this is to say, I do not understand his celebrity. I do not understand his... Because it's like, you look at female movie stars who had to be gorgeous. Yes. And then you see John Malkovich, and you're just like, that is unfair Yeah, <laughs> for bring, the women, you know? him in as a love interest, and like, an irresistible love interest, because I, I didn't understand when Michelle Pfeiffer's character made the switch to like, loving him, like... But what did what did he do? I know <laughs> nothing. Like, he seems gross. Like it was is he the least smelly person in France in the <laughs> in the seventeen hundreds? I, yeah. I slim pickings, I guess, for that <laughs> as well. Absolutely. I mean, okay. So she basically her arc is that she's like, I know that you're a womanizer, so I hate you. Plus, I'm married. Get away from me. My aunt or your aunt warned me about you. And then she's like, well, he's not that bad. Then she's like, oh, then I'm in love with him. Then she's like, oh, fine, I'll go with you and be with you and I'll make love to you. And then he's like, no, because I love you. I can't let you do that. And then they break up and then she dies. That's basically the whole. But, you know, at least Michelle Pfeiffer kind of had like a bit of an arc here, comparatively so to like the other nominees like Joan Cusack, for example. Definitely. Um, And... I would say that of Michelle Pfeiffer's roles that I've seen, this is definitely one of her best. I think that she won the BAFTA for Best Supporting Actress, so there was probably a really good chance that she could have won this Oscar if Gina Davis didn't uh, come in and swipe it. Um, I think that give Michelle Pfeiffer... Um, the Oscar for literally just having to pretend to be attracted to John Malkovich. That's impressive. That's some top level acting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ben is. Yeah. I mean, I, I like John Malkovich, but I don't look at him as any sort of sexy, Agreed. sexy, sensual, any Agreed. sort of like magnetic <laughs> no. personality. No. And he was kind of stiff in this role a little bit. Like at one point, I can't remember, there was a part where he like throws himself at Michelle Pfeiffer in a chair and he says something like, 
he's like, I cannot live without you. But it's like, he says it in such a stiff way where it's like literally the way I said it. Like, just, I cannot live without you. Yeah. And he th- and I'm like, are you just reading the cue card right yeah, now? Yeah, like, like it just, it sounds very stiff. Um, But obviously, John Malkovich is an incredible actor, but not, as you're saying, like as like the romantic lead, like it was, miscast. Yeah. Weird choice. Weird choice. Um, I do think that some of her a lot of her acting was um, kind of a lot of the same where she would always come into a scene with teary eyes like every single time and her eyes were always red from crying. She always seems like a victim, but then like she's also married at the same time. So she's also kind of being a shitty person as well. Um, Really the only victim in this movie is Uma Thurman who like gets sexually assaulted and lied to and manipulated. This is fine. This is fine. Yeah. Like really, but Michelle Pfeiffer seems to come across as the more of the sympathetic character. Her death is very unclear as well. But again, like, I think that there's more to her character than some of these other nominees. I think that she's acting it very nicely. I do think that, yeah, like it it was just uh, for me with this performance from her, it was a lot of the same. She was always at like an eight and she would always be crying and really emotional when sometimes I felt like maybe the scene didn't really call for that. Yeah. There was a little uh, female hysteria in that character that I'm like, does that, is that just like how true? And then I'm like, well, you know, if it's very true to the book, I mean, that was right. 1700s, that would be a legitimate diagnosis back then. Yeah, like, right. You're hysterical. Your uterus is acting up. Yeah. And that's why there's tears coming out of your eyes all the time. Yeah. I, I love the way that she is appalled by all of his advances at first. You know, I think that she, you know, navigates those scenes like really, really nicely. Um, it's just. The whole time, I'm just hoping that, like, somebody, of course, this is the director's choice, but why wasn't anybody British or have a French accent? It or was very confusing. Yeah. It was very confusing. Product of its time, I suppose. I mean, was there any particular moment of this performance that, like, stood out to you, like, in the movie? Not really. Like, I, because I was watching it, and in my head, I was like, oh, they, like, was Uma Thurman nominated? Because right. like she went, because she went through the ringers. Like, well, she you was sexually she's... assaulted, so she should have been nominated because yeah. that's what happened in the eighties. You see her boobies. You see her boobies. Yeah. 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 So I'm like, oh, I, th- I thought for sure. And then I was like, oh no, it was Michelle Pfeiffer because Michelle Pfeiffer's role felt very, like, oddly secondary. Right. For me. I was okay. Like, okay. You don't seem to be the main focus, which is why I'm having trouble, like, buying this like the change in John Malkovich and like the change in her. Cause I'm like, we didn't, right. we didn't really see anything to kind of justify this, the shift between the two of them. So I'm like, Oh, what's going on Oh, they're in love. Okay. That's so true. I actually didn't even really think about that, but it's true. It's just like, you just have to accept the scene for what it was. Cause there was no explanation as to why suddenly things had changed. And like, it's fine. We're in love. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, he took a bath. He's like a completely different person after his <laughs> annual bath. Yeah, exactly. Well, that could be a game changer. Um, I think, you know, whenever she becomes jealous of Emily, who was like a hooker, let's say, um, you know, I think uh, that's a nice moment whenever she becomes sort of, of, of jealous. Then again, 
like I said kind of before, it does become a bit of a repetitive performance for me. And I actually do feel really bad for her character whenever John Malkovich has to break up with her saying, like, it's out of my hands. Yeah. And then he like a good scene. throws her. And then she's kind of like very absolutely upset. And again, just give her the Oscar for having to be uh, really upset that John <laughs> Malkovich broke up with you when you look like Michelle Pfeiffer. It's out of my hands. <laughs> and uh, I think that... Michelle Pfeiffer playing the object of desire is like obviously within her wheelhouse. I think she was right for the role. I think that she nailed the scenes a little bit of a repetitive performance. That's really more on the director to sort of reel that in a little bit, but it's a nice sort of period piece to see um, her in. She's also in the age of innocence. Frankly, I actually kind of preferred her performance in that to this, but it's actually a very similar performance. You said that you hadn't seen this movie before, and that was a big reason why you selected this year. So what did you think of Dangerous Liaison? Uh, I enjoyed it. it. The big thing for me, though, it uh, French and Saunders did a, a, a series of ongoing sketches where they're like in that period of time, all like flattering their fans at each other and putting like stupid birthmarks all over their face. So right. I was very much taken out because I kept expecting French and Saunders <laughs> to show up at one point. So I, w- I wasn't necessarily taking it as seriously as I probably should have. Sure. But it was fun. Like uh, to me, the big re- revelation was Glenn Close. Yes. Uh, I thought she was amazing in it. Uh, I, I didn't realize Uma Thurman was in it. I thought she did a great job. Mm-hmm. Uh it was fun seeing like Keanu Reeves show up and just do a Keanu Reeves performance. Yeah, for anybody that's listening, I totally <laughs> just rolled my eyes. I, I, okay. You want to talk about somebody that I do not understand their celebrity. I understand the quirkiness of, of uh, Keanu Reeves in movies like My Private Idaho, mm-hmm. or um, he's been in a couple buddy movies in action films like John Wick, Matrix. You're like, yes. The moment that you have Keanu Reeves in like a period piece or drama, it is because that whole like, hey dude, yeah. what's up? That voice never goes away. I don't know if you've seen um, that Dracula movie where he's like, he's yes. like morning 1904. He's like <laughs> beauty pissed. And like his accent is so. So offensively bad that I cannot understand why I'm very aware that I'm watching Keanu Reeves. Yes. That accent, like his voice that he has, it it does not transfer onto other dialects at all. Zero. Zero. It's just that I I ev anytime I see him in a period piece, I'm like, what the fuck? Why? Why? I think it's just because people found him so attractive. And here's yeah. for it, I'm about to elicit the gay gasp. I have never and will never and do not understand why people find Keanu Reeves attractive. I don't get it. Uh, I liked him in My Private Idaho. Sure. I liked That's River it. Phoenix times a thousand. Yep. I literally have and still have had have will always have the biggest crush on River Phoenix. It is so sad that he died outside the Viper Room. I'm pretty sure that, uh, you know, I've seen every one of his doc. Like, I had a weird obsession with him for a while. Why wouldn't you? He's great. And then I found out he was in a gay movie, and I was like, oh, my God. And just, I love River Phoenix. And then when I saw that he was with Keanu Reeves, I was like, what? I don't, I don't get it. I just, I've never understood it. But so many people find him so sexy. I've just, I've never seen it. But a lot of people say that about Brad Pitt. They'll be like, I don't understand why Brad Pitt is so sexy, but I think Brad Pitt's really hot. Very hot. Well, he used to be. Yeah. Uh, He's slowly (laughs) aging out of (laughs) Well, he was kind of hot in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. He's he's definitely moving on to like the catcher's mitt phase of handsomeness that right. like, like what happened to robert redford you're like right. oh right. 
he's so handsome. Oh, look at your leathery face. Stay out of the sun. <laughs> <laughs> he does kind of look like Robert Redford. Yeah. That's yeah. that's a really good example. Yeah, put on a broad brimmed hat and some sunscreen. <laughs> oh, I too love late. that. It's too late for you, Brad. Yeah. You, you had your moment yeah. in the sun. You had too many moments in the sun. <laughs> we even Henry Fonda, too, like on Golden Pond, for example. Because like when he was younger, he was really gorgeous. Yeah. And then like on Golden Pond, you're like, oof, monster. <laughs> monster let's hold his hold his head under that golden <laughs> pond until he stops moving oh that's funny okay um well okay well do you have anything else that you would like to add to michelle apophifer's dangerous liaison's performance before we move on to our winner mm, no no i think i preferred uh cruel intentions i think so i think too. i did yeah but then you don't get glenn close you don't get glenn close it's glenn close but no cigar <laughs> don't get it glenn always so close but no cigar yeah, she's been nominated now i think like eight times she's never won my favorite is when she lost to olivia coleman um and she lost she was nominated for the wife which i love that movie mm-hmm. and uh she lost and she was expecting to win and she does that look on her face when she loses to olivia coleman she's like I love it. Those faces always make me laugh because I'm like, you're actors. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe act like you're not surprised or not disappointed. Oh, I would like, be furious at like the tell. I would look at the camera. I remember there was years ago, it was like at the MTV Movie Awards for Best Comedy something. And it was for um, like Best Performance. And Anna Ferris was nominated for The House Bunny. And Jim Carrey was nominated for whatever the hell he was nominated for. And she lost. And she looked at the camera and she was like, what? Like, <laughs> um, What's her fa- Faith Hill? whenever she lost to Carrie Underwood for at the CMTs, the country music, the country, oh, CMAs, the country music awards. And she won like artist of the year or something. And she thought she was going to win and she didn't know the camera was recording. And she looked at the camera and she's like, what? (laughs) It's, I'll show it to you after this. It's incredible. And, and, uh, Gina Davis's, uh, year does not disappoint with the telecast facial disappointments because, I, every one of these episodes, I always look up and I look up all like the reactions and I reverse and then I watch everyone's. So when, okay. So we're talking about now we're talking about Gina Davis and the accidental tourist. So leading up to the, so the only nomination uh, that Gina Davis ever got for this movie was for the Oscar for a supporting role. And she won. She did not get a Golden Globe, no like independent stuff, no BAFTA, like nothing. No one cared. Yeah. No one cared. No one cared. And uh, again, like I said at the beginning of this episode, whenever you tell people that Gina Davis has an Oscar, they'll be like Thelma and Louise, or they'll be like A League of Her Own, or Beetlejuice, I don't know. Gina Davis movies, right? Yeah. But then when you say The Accidental Tourist, I assure you, the average movie like goer watcher would be like, what? I knew the name, but I couldn't have told you anyone that was in it. I couldn't right. have told you like any sort of plot. I just like, yeah, exactly. it was just like in... yeah in my my brain somewhere but i'm like i have no idea what i'm in for <laughs> oh I'm, i thought it would be like the tourist with like angelina jolie and johnny depp where it's like they're on vacation yeah. and, and wackiness ensues that was not no <laughs> that was no not the wackiness case. ensued but in the telecast when gina davis wins you can visibly see in her face that she's surprised and she's like oh and it's then like she gets me? yeah. And uh, at the time, she was dating uh, fr- from the fly Jeff Goldblum. I don't know if they're still married, but they were married at the time. She Fun. thanks him in his in her Oscar acceptance speech. But then, whenever you look at the faces of all the nominees, so I think Michelle Pfeiffer did this on purpose. But she kind of looks down to the camera, and her hair swoops in front of her face. So when they say it, you actually can't see her reaction. Smart. I think she was expecting to win. 
So then she was like, just in case I don't, because this Gina Davis bitch is coming for my gig, I don't want them to see my face. Because, and I get that, I, if on that level of like a competitive like bowling trophy, (laughs) oh, I'm a bitter (laughs) bitch. I literally have a show called It Gets Bitter. Like I am a bitter bitch. And if I lost, oh my God, no, I would lose it. I would bring a tiny little table and set it up in front of me and just like, (laughs) flip it in rage. That's hilarious. I love that. Well, I mean, um, I'm in on the joke. I'm like, I'm seriously (laughs) mad, but no, I'm totally kidding. Well, do you remember the year when we were all nominated for a Canadian comedy award? You were nominated for best Best stand up and I was nominated for best breakout. I won. We don't need to talk about it. (laughs) But when I showed up, it was the five nominees of the five nominees. It was me and Natalie Norman were the only nominees that showed up and then it was uh, Nigel Jarrett and uh, Adrian Fish that were also nominated but they didn't show up and I remember being so fucking angry because I was like certain that I lost and then I was like I actually came to this stupid fucking thing and I was like so angry and so upset and the second they said my name I was like all is forgiven <laughs> and I just went up on stage I did a fucking five minute acceptance speech they it said it was a great speech yeah they were like it's supposed to be like a minute long I was like well, suck a dick it's gonna be <laughs> I've got things to say <laughs> and uh, things to say to people but if I would have lost oh my god I would have I would have stormed out of there Oh, I went, I went in expecting to lose. I only nominated myself because I needed an award nomination for like American work papers. Right. And they're like, they're like, yeah, just a nomination is fine. I'm like, okay, I can probably get myself nominated. <laughs> Martha, did Martha win? I can't, I can't remember. Well, she lives downstairs, so you can just go downstairs and just bitch slap her. No, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> she fought you back. Um, okay, so just, uh, we'll get into Gina Davis in a second, but literally, okay, so Joan Cusack was also like, oh, because obviously I don't think that she was expecting to win, so when they said Gina Davis, jo- Joan Cusack was like, oh, uh-huh. Sigourney So Weaver- anyone can win these. Yeah, <laughs> Sigourney Weaver was like, Oh my God as well. And then Frances McDormand kind of seemed indifferent. She just kind of clap, clap, clap. But uh, Gina Davis was genuinely surprised that she won. And talking about that, I was a little surprised too. I was surprised that she was nominated for this role. It it just felt like Gina Davis being Gina Davis. Right. And the, like, the only way you knew her character was supposed to be quirky was because she was wearing, like, a crocheted sweater. Oh or she's God. wearing, like, I'm th- these clothes indicate that I'm a free spirit. Yes. Like, nothing I'm saying or doing lets you know that I'm a free spirit. But Absolutely. look at what I'm wearing. Yeah. I love that you said that because I actually wrote down... Where did I write this? I said, I feel like her character's performance was heavily based on her wardrobe. Yeah. Because... Um, so basically... Okay. I'm going to very quickly read the... Uh, IMDB uh, description of this movie here. Mm-hmm. I will try to stay awake for it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, accidental tourist. Uh, and okay. So an emotionally distant writer of travel guides and the travel guide is called the accidental tourist. And that's William Hurt's um, column that he writes uh, must carry on with his life after his son is killed and his marriage crumbles. And he's married to Kathleen Turner, which um uh, which was very interesting as well. So basically in the movie, it's like Kathleen Turner and William Hurt, their marriage is simply not working because of the loss of their child. And then um, they kind of get a separation. And then William Hurt has to go away to Europe for his, you know, for his travel guide book that he writes. And then he has to drop off the dog, which is so cute. It's a little Corgi. Little Corgi, little who's cor- apparently the worst Corgi on the planet. I know. And he's like the most docile, yeah. soft, cute dog. And they're like, he's like a monster. I'm not buying that Edward <laughs> bites everyone that he sees. <laughs> Even when he bit him it looked like it looked it looked 
like he tickled him. <laughs> like, you know, like. It was so, t- I mean, and chasing Bill Pullman up a tree. It was like. It was so stupid. It's a corgi. These legs are <laughs> like two inches tall. You can't get away from that. Just Queen Elizabeth like <laughs> running from like a pack of corgis for her life. Mm. She's like, I will make a purse out of you. Yeah. The dog was miscast. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But in the movie, uh, you know, he has to drop off his little dog and then she works at the shelter and then she is really pushy. She's like, I will take care of this dog. I will train it. You are not training your dog right. I will charge you this much money. And she shows up and she does the thing. She trains the dog. She's quirky looking and then she leaves and then she comes back into another scene and then she's quirky and then she's training the dog and then she leaves and then um she's like oh let's go for dinner and she's like let's go for dinner let's go for dinner let's go for dinner very pushy and then he writes her a letter because this is of course the day before email and text messaging and all that and before he could slip it under her door she thinks that he's an intruder she's like i have a shotgun i'll kill you and then he comes in he explains that her son is triggering to him because he just lost his son. Then they go upstairs. I thought they were going to fuck. They actually yeah. just have little cuddles. Little cuddles. A little sad undressing. <laughs> little and then sad some undressing. sad cuddles. Sad cuddles. Yeah. And then I guess that they're dating now. And then Kathleen Turner's like, let's get back together. And then... And then he has to go away for work. And then Gina Davis stalks his fucking life, gets on the plane, goes to Paris. I always wanted to go to Paris. Yeah. And then she like also stays at the same hotel as him. And then they spend some time together. And then ultimately he decides that he's going to be with her. Frankly, I feel that, of course, up until this point, I guess there weren't really a lot of like Gina Davis standard of movies yet. And maybe perhaps the voters were like, ooh, this is new and exciting. So maybe for me, being more familiar with her later work, I'm less impressed by it. But maybe at the time it was more impressive. But I feel that what they were doing for this Oscar win was the Academy voters, like the old white dudes, it's playing the who do we have the biggest crush on yeah, that felt like an old man boner vote for sure. Yeah, for sure. That like we haven't invented, uh, you know, boner pills yet. So <laughs> this is all we have. Just give us Gina Davis. She has presence in the movie. She has presence in the movie. Uh, but she, yeah, I, I just, I feel like a lot of times, like you're just getting Gina Davis and not really anything any other, other than than gina davis uh her dog training methods were garbage <laughs> you're a vet uh, yes so that was, was like oh i wouldn't listen to this chick she's crazy <laughs> and it was just yeah it was another one of those movies where like time passed with no indication that time passed right and so you're like what is going on now okay, how long have you been living with muriel how long have you been here now <laughs> you could always tell because her hair would get like longer and shaggier and it would be like oh, i guess time has passed yeah. or she clip her hair back or something afford, she can't afford a haircut yes she's sad uh the the ringing phone that trope of the unanswered ringing phone got really annoying I really <laughs> fast with the weird family and like they all kind of live together in this weird incestuous yeah the sister taking care of the the brothers and yeah oh, it was even, weird even after she goes off and gets married she has to come back and <laughs> take care of her brothers where her husband's like well yeah, I guess I'm just staying home. Like I, I didn't understand any of that. I didn't understand any of that either. I thought that was, I thought that was very, very strange. But then after he was basically not cooking, not taking care of the house, not doing anything, he suddenly like um, 
did everything f- like for Gina Davis. Like he was doing the dishes, he was cleaning the house, he was taking care of all the household, whatever. He was a magical plumber all of a sudden. I thought that William Hurt's character was just kind of a little bit like all over the place. And frankly, from William Hurt, like I expect a little bit more. I didn't feel like there was much to his character other than, okay, I'm, I'm sad. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I don't really like my boring job of doing travel articles for businessmen. I know. And also that include no clothes. And I thought, I thought, Ooh, the accidental tourist. I'm like, that's a great, um, like, I'm like, maybe they're stuck somewhere like in Italy and then they get to know characters. I'm like, that's really exciting. And then you realize you're like, Oh, it's, it's a metaphor. It's just, yeah. yeah. You're like, Oh, cool. Yeah. I was hoping for some meat cute in the, in the Mediterranean. And yes, yes. I mean like, this will be fun. It's like, Oh no, <laughs> no, then we're, we're watching a sad, quiet movie. Great. A lot of people said that this was category fraud for Gina Davis, that this was actually more of a lead than it was supporting. Um, and fair enough. He, I'm just trying to think if there were any like kind of big moments here that, uh, you know, she's mad at one point, Gina Davis gets really mad at him because he won't marry her. Another thing I didn't buy because she was a divorcee and he was in the middle of getting divorced. So it was like, why would you want to rush into a marriage again? It's clearly written by a bunch of men. Yeah. Because it's like, I really doubt that her character would want that. I found all the characters weird. I'm like, is everyone in this movie on the spectrum? Because none, nobody <laughs> seems know. to know how to interact with other human beings. I know. <laughs> uh, it was just, I'm like, I'm surprised that any of you managed to hook up with anybody. I know. And then you haven't all just been living in this house uh, <laughs> as like adult siblings. I know. It. Yeah. You're, that's, so, that's so true. I think that this was actually a... Um, this this novel that it was based on was like like nominated for like a Pulitzer Prize. Oh, so like maybe the book was like better or uh, something. Stop letting old white men vote on things. <laughs> no, I it really honestly it really wasn't until they got to Paris that I actually kind of understood why her character was nominated for a supporting role because she is the one that's like really saving him from his misery and like from his situation and also the wardrobe. Once you see like the quirkiness yeah. of the wardrobe, okay, you're like two competing animal prints on at the same time. Exactly. I'm wacky. Yeah. And you're like, exactly. <laughs> you're like, Oh, so that suggests that, you know, you are that quirky character, but it's like, I think the clothes were kind of wearing her a little bit because it's like, I'm, She's too pretty. She's yeah. a supermodel. You're, you're so, still Gina Davis. You're still Gina Davis. So like it just, I didn't buy her character. I didn't buy really any of it. There's a reason why a lot of people haven't really heard of this movie. I maybe understand the nomination during this time of roles for women in film. But like you said, and I agree with you that the performance was really heavily based on her wardrobe yeah. because frankly, there's not really a ton there other than her undeniable presence. But is your presence a performance? No. Yeah. Yeah. No, the camera loves you, but you need to bring a little more to the table. Yeah. I didn't understand the point when all of a sudden she got, her character got really mad at William Hurt that yeah. when they were talking about sending the, the kid to private school, it's yes. like, well, are you around? Are you going to be around in 10 years? Are you going to be paying for all of his schooling forever? Are we getting married? What's going on? I'm yeah. Like, it's just how long has this relationship been happening? <laughs> yeah, like let's just take it down. Yeah, dial but, it back. Yeah, let's just dial it back because literally, like, if it doesn't work out, then you can just take your kid out of private school. Yeah. yeah. No, I know. And also, then he'll just get dumber. Yeah. <laughs> also, uh, as a vet, I have to ask: Is the what? What is? Is that a thing that there people is do? clicker training? So you train them that when the click happens, they're going to get a treat. Okay. So it's it's a faster way of rewarding them. So you click and then. 
they know they're going to be getting a treat. So, but you can click really a lot faster than you can give them something. But you have to train them to that. You can't just walk around like clicking at them like some Zulu tribesman. <laughs> you, you have to actually pair the click up with the treat with first, the treat. right? And then you move on to the rest of the stuff. It's just a it's an alternative to saying good boy and giving them a treat. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. And so for this case, it would be is what she was doing. Yeah. Okay. I was I was like what? Because when I was a kid. Was like if you needed to like a like a horse, yeah, gallop, trollop, or whatever the fuck you call yeah, it. Gallop is that trot. what it? A trot, a canter, perhaps. A canter. Well, you're 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 the vet. You know these <laughs> these adjectives. These oh, verbs. I forgot everything I learned about lame horses. <laughs> Just shoot them. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I don't really have much else to add to this performance or this film. Is there anything else that you want to say? No, just everyone. Yeah, no one, no one acted like normal people. Like his sister gets married and invites his ex, William Hurt's ex-wife, yeah, to be her maid of honor, and somehow he doesn't find out about it until like an hour before the wedding. It's like, oh, what are you doing here? Yeah, <laughs> yeah Kathleen Turner kind of seemed to be like maybe the only person in the film a little bit because she was like, oh, I'm sad because I lost my son, and then she's like, oh, I miss you, yeah. and then you know that's believable. Let's get back together, yeah, that's yeah. believable, and then she just kind of. Does it, doesn't she fly all the way to Paris just to, like, prop him up in bed for a second? She flies to Paris to take care of him because he's thrown out his back. And yeah. then is like, what's she doing here? Yeah. Like, well, she chased me. She's crazy. She's I'm crazy. definitely going with the crazy Yeah. <laughs> She's like, it means nothing. But yeah. anyway, I'm leaving you for yeah. her. Crazy girls take it up the bum. I'm going with her. <laughs> um, okay. So I think that we should go ahead and select who we think who uh, should have won. So okay. you are my guest. So you will go first. All so right. If you... Give, give me so I think the Oscar should have gone to Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, I thought I thought hands down I would have given it to Uma if she'd been popped in instead of Michelle Pfeiffer. Right. Uh, but yeah, I thought I thought Sigourney Weaver did a great job. Uh, I thought it was a good supporting character role. Like it was meaty enough that it made sense. For that category, yeah, uh, bless Joan Cusack, but she's no, she just didn't, didn't didn't have a chance. I uh, okay, no, that's that's wonderful. So I'll be honest. So for me, it's kind of between like two people right now. But um, so I think that the Oscar should have gone to. Sigourney Weaver for Working Girl. And the reason why is because I just think it's a shame that she does not have an Oscar. And I think that of all of her roles, um, I think it was for Children of a Lesser God, Marley Matlin, and she beat her up for Aliens. If she would have had it for that, that would have been good. But I, I think I selected um, Marley Matlin for that episode. And for Gorillas in the Mist, that wasn't really a win for me. Mm-hmm. That was definitely Jodie Foster. Of all of these nominees, it's Sigourney. Like, yeah. it's like, it was definitely her year. It's an iconic performance. I've seen this movie a million times. I never get sick of it. I love the way that she handles comedy in a ironically serious way. And it's still funny. Um, I also like to see the way that her character reacts whenever she's losing power and she's losing control over all of the, like over Harrison Ford and over her business and blah, blah, blah. Um, I think that's very, very interesting. I think for me, a close second would have been Michelle Pfeiffer for Dangerous Liaisons. The only reason why I wouldn't select her is because her performance for me became really repetitive. And like you said, it would just be like really unclear as to why her feelings had changed. It would just be like, Oh, you're like in love with him now. Okay, cool. 
And then you decide to accept it and move on. And I didn't love that where I felt like Sigourney Weaver's performance, there was no confusion as to what was going on. And I think that I, when I think of Sigourney Weaver, I either think of her in aliens or I think of her wearing red in working girl. So I think just based on the outfit (laughs) alone, I select uh, Sigourney Weaver as well. Oh, that's so exciting. Okay. So thank you so much, Ted Morris, for being a guest on this podcast. Again, where can people find you on social media? They can find me uh, on the socials at dogtorted, D-O-G-T-O-R-T-E-D. Dr. Ted. I love it. But with a G instead of a C. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we'll see you guys next time and uh, leave us uh, some reviews and share it with your gays and we'll see you in another episode. Bye. Bye.